Hi, I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech-language pathologist, and welcome to Teach Me to Talk, the podcast. Today, we are continuing a short series, a little two-part series, about teaching expressive language skills to toddlers with language delays and disorders, and we're talking about doing that with a really specific treatment model where we walk a child sequentially through increasingly more complex utterances or vocalizations. And so if you're a parent joining me, you may have lost me in that explanation. What I really mean here is we're going to teach a kid how to talk. We're going to start with things that are really, really easy, and we're going to move through that continuum until we get a child ready to imitate some phrases. And imitation is a really important part of this program or of this uh, treatment model or anytime you go to anybody for speech therapy because kids learn everything by imitation including especially how to talk. And so imitation is such an important part of that. And so we can't just start by teaching late-talking toddlers to say words. We have to start at easier things, easier developmental levels, because we know that the, that progression that we expected them to do to be able to talk isn't happening. For some, level, for some reason, they are stuck or they are plateaued at another level, at an easier level. They're not too talking yet. And so that's what we're going to do is walk through this. Now, this is show number 399, and we're specifically going to be talking about how to use this model and make recommendations to parents for what they can do during daily routines or during just everyday things they do at home, everyday activities they do with uh, their child at home. And this is a really, really important part of teaching for parents. But learning how to play with a kid with toys is really, really important too. And as I said in the first part of this show, in show number 398, so many times in the last few years when I've started working with parents, I have really, really, really realized that parents don't know how to play. They just, for whatever reason, they uh, just haven't been exposed to playing with toys or it wasn't important to them or it's not important to them now or they may be uh, economically challenged where they don't have a lot of resources, where they don't have a lot of toys, and so for, or their child may have had so many developmental issues that play has not been a focus. They've just been focusing on life needs and uh, physical development, and that's okay too. But learning how to play is a critical part of teaching a child how to talk because through play, children build their cognitive skills. And their cognitive skills are actually what form the foundation for language. And so when we can give children everyday experiences that really facilitate language development, we are much further along. And play is such an important part of that. So for these same strategies with familiar toys, go back and listen to part one of this show or of this series, 398. Now, let me say... We are taking the information that I used or presented in the first half of that show as the basis for this show. So if you have not listened to show number 398 or watched it, go back and do that because I'm not going to repeat or I'm going to try not to repeat so much of that information. But I really want you to understand why we are walking through helping a child learn how to imitate and then spontaneously use uh, skills that you may not necessarily associate with talking if you're a parent and how that how that forms again the foundation lays the groundwork for speech language development and how we can't just start with words so go back and listen to that show if you have not done that so let's just quickly run through what these levels are and this time when we focus on these levels I want to talk with you about specifically how to facilitate the specific target that we are talking about for each of these levels. So uh, if you haven't listened, now is a really good time to turn this show off and go back and listen to 398 and then come back and pick it up here. So here what we're going to do is we're going to start with level one. And if you'll remember with level one, that means that we are helping children learn how to imitate actions with objects. And remember we said that children, as they when they are babies, and if they are experiencing typical development, and even our little, a lot of our little guys with language delays and disorders are, are beyond this point because they have learned how to play and they have learned how to use uh, everyday items functionally. And so here at this level one um, phase here, that kids are imitating actions with objects. So that means when they see you do something with an object, they will copy you. And, and we know from research that a child's imitative skills at 18 months 
is a fantastic predictor for how well he talks at 36 months. And so then we know that that is so important that for our little guys who are not imitating, we have to strengthen those skills and we have to work directly on teaching them how to imitate so that that process starts to kick in and that it's not that they're just learning these isolated little uh, communication skills so that, again, we are shoring up what's missing. We are working on their weaknesses and that we are really meeting them where they are and so that we're not starting to work at a level that's way too difficult. And that's why we don't see progress with a lot of kids uh, because we start up here working with, okay, they can't talk. I'm a speech therapist. We're going to work on words rather than, gosh, their social engagement isn't that great. They don't really know how to play. They don't really understand words. And so we are up here working on expressive language when we should be working way down here on social skills and on receptive language. And, and a lot of what we're going to talk about today is cognitive development. And so we need to, again, think about that and think about how we can, as professionals, educate parents and talk with them about how important it is to really look at the whole child and look at at all of the things that play into a kid who's learning how to communicate and a kid who learns how to talk and a kid who learns how to use language to uh, get his needs and his wants met. And so we have to really help parents understand this process that we don't start with words. We start at easier, earlier developmental levels. And so we're going to start here talking about level one. And remember we said that when we get late talkers or toddlers with speech language delays or other kind of developmental disorders like autism or even more of a medical diagnosis like Down syndrome or cerebral palsy or any other kind of genetic um, difference going on there, they're still at different levels. So we'll look at these eight levels and what we want to do is figure out where a child is currently functioning, where he first starts to kind of break down and at that earliest level where he only has a couple of examples, that's where we're going to start working with him. And so sometimes I said this back in show 398 and go back and listen to this full explanation. But again, you might start working at words, like I already said, when he really should be down at these earlier levels. So here at level one, how do you know if a kid is already doing level one, if he's imitating actions with objects? You see him play, and he will copy you. And so if we are, or even in a daily routine, so since this show's about daily routines, we better stick with those examples. So what would a kid look like who's imitating actions with objects? Let's take our first daily routine here, which is going to be a meal or a snack. And again, you can... Um, get this handout that I'm, I'm talking directly from this today and this is available when you purchase continuing education credit for this show that's our just best way that we've uh, figured out how to do our downloads for this and so you'll see there's two pages of uh, taking this model walking through these eight levels of verbal imitation and expressive language uh, facilitation we take that and we walk through six different daily routines and you can have that information when you purchase that credit. And, and you don't have to be a therapist to purchase that credit. Or you don't even need the, you might be a therapist and you think, oh, I, I, just, I just want the information. You don't even have to complete the process for that to get the, the PDF. You just have to sign up and enroll like you need to get that credit. So that's why parents can do it too. All right, so we're going to take these activities, meals and snack time, bath time. Diaper changes and dressing. So those are kind of our key everyday activities that we talk to families about and how they can embed their language strategies within these activities and make a huge difference in how their children learn how to communicate because there are established times to practice. And parents remember these strategies and they do them day in and day out. And, and we're, by doing that, we're giving children the level of repetition and practice that they need to really, really own these skills. You can't just work on something with a speech pathologist one hour a week. Well, let me just say, you can. And I have had kids that whose parents don't do very much outside of what we do in therapy or just kind of hit or miss during the week. And those kids do make progress. But <laughs> it's better if the parents are on board and know what they're doing. And so when we give them really specific strategies, or if you want to think about it like homework, if we give them really specific things to do in the context of what they do every day, they are often much more likely to be able to, to remember to do these things with their children. So that's why daily routines are so important. So I've got those. And then I took three more things that are should be daily routines for families. And so playing in the kitchen. 
some ideas for that, some ideas for how to use books to facilitate language learning, and then I just put a fun one in there playing with a blanket because in nearly every home I've been in in these last 26 years when I've seen children uh, through state early intervention programs and done home visits, home help, um, almost everybody has a blanket. And kids like blankets, and they want to use their blankets, and they may even be, that may even be their little lovey, their, uh, their attachment object. And so we want some ideas to do with that. So my point here is we want to take all kinds of activities and really demonstrate to parents how they can work on language and work on helping their children learn how to talk and learn how to use words to communicate throughout their day. It isn't just this one hour thing that happens at speech and it isn't just when they sit down to play with a toy. There are things that they can do all day, every day that really support um, their child's language development. So that's what we're gonna talk about today. And I've already tried to start this a couple times, so let's, I think I'm finished with all the background information. Let's jump straight to this. Remember we said level one, how do we know when a child is already doing level one, he's imitating actions with objects. So if we were looking at meals, if we were taking something we were going to do with a child with meals, um, we could just look at any food or a dish or utensil that we were going to have available for that child that we would normally have for a meal or a snack. And we are going to try these things when a child is rested and when he's well and when he's paying attention so that he includes us in this. So to do this at a time when he is starving or when he's running a temperature, not recommended because we're not going to see his, his natural, normal kind of level of functioning here. So what we want to do is see what a child will imitate with uh, actions with objects during a meal. So we might do something like have a bowl and a spoon, and see if he'll imitate stirring. Now, you can't really say to a toddler, look, I want you to stir with this spoon and then hand it to them. I mean, they're going to do what they do naturally. But this method works best because we're teaching imitation. You've got to model it first. And I shouldn't have said it works best. It actually is the only way <laughs> that this whole uh, model for teaching language applies is you've got to show a kid what to do. You have to teach him how to imitate. And remember, we said why we're doing this is because the reason he's not talking yet is because he hasn't learned how to imitate words yet. And why hasn't he learned how to imitate words? Because he doesn't imitate uh, words in context dependent situations like we talked about in the first show go back and listen to that and then we kind of walk it all the way back through down that continuum we start at the top and kind of go down to the most basic level here and so <clears throat> again that's what we want to do that's what we're we're walking through and we're figuring out where a kid is and what he can do and so when we are um trying to figure out where a kid is functioning developmentally, you've got to model these uh, actions or the word or the sound or whatever your goal is so that the child can learn how to copy you and learn how to imitate you. And so for something like this, we talked about this in the first show, but the adult really, really, one, has to uh, repeat the uh, evidence tells us, the research tells us that a parent or an adult, a therapist, whoever it happens to be, grandma, has to model what she wants the child to do 12 to 18 times before we realistically expect the child to begin to imitate. And so for lots of us as adults, and I said this in the first show, we don't need to keep data on what the kid is doing. We need to keep data on us to make sure we are modeling whatever the goal is. Uh, actions with objects we've got them here at level one we've got to make sure that we are providing enough models so if we only do if we're going to show a kid if we're working on him imitating our actions with objects in a meal we have to not stir pretend to stir one or two times we've got to do it like that 12 or 18 times like research tells us before we think this is a a strategy that will work. If we stop at five or six imitations and say, well, the kid can't do it, he didn't do it, this isn't working, you aren't applying uh, the, the results or the technique used that research tells us works best. It's repetition and it's that children have 12 to 18 models so that they can see it and they can remember it and they can understand it and they can fully process uh, what you're doing and so the other so repetition is important and the other part of that is how we present this and so it, we're going to talk about specifically for each of these eight levels the things that we can do every time we're working with a kid no matter what our activity is whether it's 
the mealtime activities that we're going to talk about or playing with a blanket or reading a book or a diaper change time, we're going to always think about, okay, how can I keep it at this developmental level where this kid is? We're not going to work on words. We're going to work on what where he is currently functioning, whether it be this level one with actions with objects or level two, imitating uh, body movements or body actions or level three, nonverbal actions with your face or mouth, level four, vocalizations in play, those sound effects, level five with uh, exclamatory words, so those little words like wee and uh-oh and wow and oh boy and um, pow, you know, those kinds of words, uh, words we exclaim or that just kind of pop out and then words, uh, automatic speech, verbal routines, words that are highly dependent on context, like every single time you say this, the child says this. So that's where level six is. And then level seven, we finally get to functional words where we talk about words that are relative to the activity. And then finally, uh, the last level here is level eight with short phrases. And so we're going to work all the way through these and talk about uh, how we present these so that a child will want to imitate. So the motivation piece is there. You know, you can make a child do these first few things. You can take his hands and physically make him copy an action with an object. Or you can take his hand and make him copy a communicative gesture like waving bye-bye. You can make him do it, but you really can't make him talk. Goodness knows we've all tried, right? <laughs> we wish it were that easy. But you've got to really set it up so that the adult is fun and the adult is engaged and the adult, again, has some skill with how they present this. So with actions with objects, one of the things that we're going to do is really model. Now, remember we said that a kid needs 12 to 18 models before we expect him realistically to imitate. You can't just sit there, though, and go, okay, I want this child to imitate holding the spoon up. I, that's what we're going to do. Or I want this child to imitate tapping the spoon on the table. You can't just say one, two, three, and get up to 12 or 18 and think he's going to do it. That's, that's going to be boring <laughs> to most children. You're going to lose them. They're not going to understand what you're doing. I mean, it could be that it's so fun that you're tapping the table that they want to do it too. But at the same time, you've got to present it in a way that it is catchy and that it is... Uh, enthusiastic so that that child wants to be a part of that. He can hardly resist wanting to do what you're doing. And so when you're doing these kinds of things, it does need, some of the things that we're doing do need to be super fun and super novel and engaging. But some of the things just, it's just how we present it. It may be something that they routinely already do, that they can do the physical action. You know, you've seen them use a spoon. So they can physically take a spoon to their mouths or and they may even be able to put a spoon up to a baby doll's mouth but he, the, remember what we said we want them to do it in imitation and for them to do it in imitation instead of just kind of getting locked into their own little world and their own little pattern you've got to be so noticeable that they want to do what you're doing with that so again you've got to present yourself with animated facial expressions with wide crazy eyes sometimes <laughs> smiling so that you look inviting your tone of voice has to sound fun and energetic and honestly you can do therapy with your voice as a therapist on those days when you were just dragging or you know now with the pandemic on the days when you've done a lot of telehealth and you are tired and you have been sitting when you are a person who's usually used to moving maybe even driving and you're not even getting to be outside anymore you are home and you are stuck or in an office doing this kind of thing and you've got to really pep yourself up so one of the ways that we can really do it is with our voices and so we're not maybe in a child's right in his face anymore with uh, modeling these things but we can we can sound exciting you know instead of saying you know stir with the spoon we say "Ooh, stir let me see you Ooh, stir 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 you know, that's the kind of thing we're doing. And again, that may seem over the top to you. If you have drifted off a little bit, if you are listening to this podcast and you have, you know, that probably scared, that could have scared you to death if you were dozing off there. But that's the level of animation, excitement, and playfulness that we need to engage a child's attention. And we know that there are issues with that or else they would probably be talking. That That's a major reason that, especially like our little friends with autism, that they are not so connected enough to learn how to communicate because they don't have social referencing they're not making eye contact they're not they're not consistently engaged with you they are more interested in objects or screens than they are with people so you've got to make yourself so exciting 
that they want to be with you. And one of the things that I always say is ratchet it up a notch. So if we were sitting here saying, start with a spoon, that would be a one, or it might be even be a negative five, right? <laughs> You've got to be fun. And again, ratchet it up a notch means that you take what you think is pretty good and you make it even better. You make it even sound, you make it sound even more fun. You make it sound more engaging. And it, if that's a stretch for your personality, you'll get there. <laughs> it's all right to fake it. I've had lots of parents who say to me, I'm not naturally this way, but my goodness, it works. I feel like a fool every time I do it, but oh my goodness, I'm getting such good results. I Sometimes parents will laugh and say, I even sound Southern now. <laughs> I'm even dragging my words out too like you do. But those kinds of things really, really work. And so that's one of the things we want to do. So we want to repeat. We want to make sure that we are playful and animated. And again, if a parent needs to see some examples of that, um, our DVD, the, our first DVD, our first project would teach me to talk back from uh, 2008 is now available on YouTube for free. And so if you haven't watched that, go to our channel at Teach Me to Talk and look for Teach Me to Talk, the DVD. And then you can see some examples of playfulness. And there's a whole section in that DVD about why being playful is so important and and there are examples of me with children and you can see how to do that you can you know watch facial expressions and listen to my voice and look at my body language and as a therapist sometimes we talk to parents about how to do that but they don't understand how to do it unless we really really model it and then sometimes it takes even something beyond that it takes them seeing then kind of a third party do it so that it's not just something oh that you know, our, we love our speech therapist, Brittany, but oh my goodness, she's so energetic. She's so over the top. And they think that that's just Brittany. And then they watch Teach Me to Talk and they're like, oh, that other lady does that too. Hmm, I guess I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need to do that. That's what works. And so sometimes that visual model is what works. So think about that with parents as well. All right. So finally, I keep kind of getting, getting away from getting you all the, giving you all these background pieces, but, um, uh, You've got to repeat, you've got to be animated, and then you've got to kind of look at where the child is and see what, what you can get them to do on these levels. And again, remember, sometimes we start at the top and say he can't do this, so let's back up to this level, and let's back up to this level, and we want to find where he's the earliest level where he starts to have trouble, where he only has maybe one or two little examples that you can think of that he's done in the past few days, not months, the past few days, the examples that he's done in the past few days, or if you can get him to do it with you pretty easily in therapy, then he probably does it a lot on his own. It probably is more spontaneous. And so that's what we're doing. So with level one, remember what we said, we're going to repeat and we're going to model and we're going to be exciting while we're doing it and we're going to do it. We're going to give a three to five time model and then we're going to stop and help a child perform the action. So if we're looking at meals and snacks here, remember we already said we could, some ideas, we could hold our spoon up. We might do a little shake with the spoon. Uh, and, and remember we said that we can even do unexpected actions because it's not something a kid would have done anyway. And we know he's really imitating and really copying that. So that's what we want to do. And we want to be sure that while we're doing this at level one, that we're keeping our language very, very simple and we're using only single words and short phrases phrases. Some therapists get a little bit hung up on this because they have read the research that talks about gestalt learners where they learn in chunks or where they're learning to process whole pieces instead of individual words. But I get that and that's true because it's research-based but at the same time so many of our little friends aren't talking yet because it's not simple enough. Parents have not pulled the single words out so that first, children could understand what those words mean and link meaning and make associations. And secondly, it hasn't been simple enough for them to try to imitate it or try to say it themselves. It's instead of saying spoon, mom is saying, oh, watch how I'm going to stir with my spoon right now. I want you to copy me. I want you to imitate me and stir with my spoon. That's too much. You've got to say, like we talked about before, something like, ooh, stir. Stir my spoon. I stir, stir it up, stir it up, and then give it to the child and see if he can do that too. So that's how we elicit that. Now let's move on to level two. This is where a child imitates movements, communicative gestures, or sign language. So he starts with body movements, and then we move up to gestures and things that we link meaning with and that we receive a message so that when a child uses a gesture like waving, what do we know? He's saying bye. He's saying you're leaving or I'm leaving, right? Or when he points, he's saying either look at that or give me that. 
right? And so this is what we do. We take these actions and we help children learn how to copy these actions and then we layer the language on that so that they learn, hey, I do this. When I do this, oh, I, you know, my mom is so happy. I'm expressing love to her. You know, a kid doesn't really think that in that complexity, but they've learned, oh, that's something that I get rewarded for. My mommy really likes it when I blow that kiss back to her. Or my dad bumps knuckles with me. That's a really fun thing to do. You know, that's what they're learning. And then it becomes, it becomes a greeting. You know, it becomes a way to communicate, you know, hello or goodbye or, you know, that was funny or that was good or whatever that what whatever your little intent there is. But those messages become communicative. So what do we do here? We do the same kinds of things. We model the action that we want the child to imitate three to five times. And then if he doesn't do it, we stop and we help him copy that action, whether it's something like a gesture or whether it's just something with, um, with whatever daily routine we were doing. Here with our meal times, the kinds of things that we have with uh, communicative gestures here, with our handout, you know, it would be shaking or nodding their head for yes or no when we're offering them a choice, you know, uh, are you going to, do you want this yogurt, you know, and you're certainly giving them yes, you know, give that verb, that visual model of you shaking your head. And so we would want a child to be able to do that too. Uh, how about pointing to request? We could teach a child, you know, we could have his little foods lined up and, and for him a way to request to get his foods there is we're going to model, oh, chips, you want chips? Ooh, chips. Ooh, did you see chips? And we're going to have him point too. And again, three to five times, we're going to model that, and then we're going to take his little hand and do it. And remember we said the 12 to 18 model thing, that data or that number, what is that? That's how many times we have to show him before he can begin to imitate that. So again, you're going to have to do your little sets of I'm going to do it three times and then help him. And then this time I'm going to do it four times and then help him. And then maybe by the, maybe that third or fourth time that you've done it three or four times, he starts to do it. So then you can see how that 12 or 18, how that, that data or how that number, that suggestion for uh, trials there, how that really plays into that and how that really, really helps. So that was level two. So what are some things we can do? We could pat the table or the high chair and see if they'll pat with us. And that's a great early kind of level two thing to do. Knocking on the table and saying something like knock, knock, knock. Even something like uh, seeing if a kid will, when you, when you say do you want up at the end of the snack or the end of the meal and you are reaching your arms to them, will they pop their little arms up as if to say, yeah, I want up, pick me up. So those are the kinds of things that we do with level two. Excuse me. When we see that a child has done that, when he has several, like five or six or a lot of times eight to ten different examples of whatever that developmental level is, then we move on to the next level. So with level three, remember this is imitating nonverbal actions with your face and your mouth. And we talked a lot about this in the previous show in 398 about how not every late talker or kid with a language delay or disorder will need this level, but some kids do. And so what are some things we could do here? Not quite talking yet, but something with our mouth. What are some things you can do when you're eating? Well, you can do an exaggerated open and close to see if a kid will do that. You can pretend to chatter or chomp your teeth, smack your lips, or lick your lips. You know, you're licking your lips like something is really good. You can blow on hot foods, anything like that. See how many things you can get a child to imitate with that. And if he can do that, then we're going to move on to level four. This is where a child imitates vocalizations during the meals and snacks. And remember, this is where a kid is doing sound effects. So this is where lots of our children, uh, how they come to us. So they're not saying words yet, and mom might report that they are completely nonverbal, but we start to play with them and start to listen to them and do during the assessment, and then you, we start to think, oh, he's being a little bit, he's not nonverbal. He's, he's tried to say a couple different things. He's made a couple little noises here. Oh, I, I heard him say, you know, when we were when we were doing the snack together, you know, I modeled, you know, taking a drink and then doing my big exhalation there. Oh, he's doing that. So that's a kid that's telling me by doing that, this is where I am. This is where I need you to meet me. This is where I can be successful. And so look at what you could do during a meal or snack. We already talked about exhalation as we drink. We could maybe do some slurping. Maybe we could do some little, mm, you know, or some little like we're pretending like we eat there. And so those are lots of things that we can do during a meal 
and that we're doing this not only to assess where a child is, but these are the same things we do for treatment, for therapy, where we're teaching him to imitate nonverbal actions with his face or with his mouth, just to see, you know, again, kids might have some sensory issues where they need so much input to know that they can uh, use their mouths and that they have full control over their little mouths and they're super aware of their mouths. They may have so much uh, they may have so many tone differences, either high muscle tone or low muscle tone, you know, hypertonia or hypotonia, so that, again, they're not as strong and they're, they're not as coordinated. And there's, they, it's really hard for a kid to lateralize her tongue or wiggle her tongue. And so those are the kinds of things that we might have to do, and not for every kid, but there, there is a subset of children. There are children who need this kind of specific work for us to work on that so that they can learn that they have control of their mouths and again that's going to walk them toward using words to talk so that was level four those vocalizations and again those vocalizations are sounds and they're the same sounds the same consonants and vowels that we use to make up words real words but sometimes those little sounds you can't even really transcribe those or decipher those even if you are great with phonemic or phonological or whatever you want to call it transcription it still may be hard for you to kind of get that but that's a lot of times where kids are at level four they're making a lot of sounds there's just not um they're, they're not really words yet they're kind of almost words but that's an important step so that's where a kid might be level five what do we do to get a kid to use level level uh, five exclamatory words we model them so what we might do is pick two or three different exclamatory words with all of these daily routines that we're going to do and just model them as we do that daily routine and and we want to keep it fun and simple and repetitive so again for an activity like a meal or snack we're going to say something like mm, 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 and see if a kid can imitate that or we might say uh-oh if we drop uh, a piece of food or something we might say I know as a parent, you're not going to like this, but you might say, ooh, or yuck. You know, we don't want our kids refusing food, but at the same time, that's expressive, and kids think that's funny. And so that might uh, be something that you do there, too. So those are exclamatory words. And remember, we want to get several example examples of these, and we don't want to just get it with a meal. If a kid were doing exclamatory words, and you think, well, he's only got one or two, but this is where he can be successful, and he likes this, and he's lighting up when I do it, and I've got his attention. Attention. Then we think, great, I'm going to do exclamatory words when he takes a bath. And now I'm going to do exclamatory words when I'm changing his diaper and when, he's, when I'm dressing and undressing him. And I'm going to focus on exclamatory words when we're reading books together. And I'm going to teach him some new exclamatory words when we're playing in the kitchen. And so can you see how you would take that level, even with something like daily routines, and you have a parent practice that, and they're not working on words yet because the kid's just not developmentally there you really help a parent make it simpler you know back up bring it on down to where that child can be successful and where uh, he is currently functioning so that's what we're going to do for exclamatory words there with a meal or a snack then we're going to move on to level six and remember this was automatic speech and verbal routines or and verbal routines how you want to think about this and this is where a kid uses context so every time he does this is a kid let me give you this common example that that works that parents understand I, a, a parent might say to me, I might say, tell me the words that your child is saying. Let's talk about any new words you've heard. And the parent says, he said, go. I heard him say, go this week. And so you might try to sit and play with toys. And let's say, let's make this about a daily routine. So let's say we're in the bathtub and <coughs> you are thinking, or let's say, um, yeah, that's fine. Let's go with this example. You're in the bathtub and you've got a boat, a little wind up boat. And you wind it up and you put it in the water and you just keep saying, go, go boat, go, 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 go. But you hear nothing. That child doesn't imitate anything. But then you wind up the boat and you say, ready, <gasps> set, <gasps> And then what does he say? Then he says it because it is tied to hearing, ready, set. And that's how our brains work. That's why we learn songs because we hear the melody and we hear the lyrics. 
the same thing every time we hear that song and then it just gets ingrained in our memory that that's how we learn it we listen and then we're able to sing it too we may have never looked up those lyrics you've never googled it i mean you I used to talk about things like sheet music, but, you know, nobody has that anymore. It's all on our device. And so you may never have looked at the lyrics, but you know the words to the song because you've heard it and heard it and heard it and heard it. And that's how kids learn language. It's an auditory system. So when we set them up to succeed here at this at, with this strategy, we are saying the same things in the same way every time we do whatever the activity is or the event. And with, uh, with an everyday event like bath time or meal time or dressing and undressing, we teach parents these verbal routines and they can be things like ready, set, go or things like a song. You know, you may sing uh, a song about getting dressed uh, you know, a song about, I put on my socks, I put on my socks, now it's time, I put on my socks. And so you're singing that, and you know, I put on my shoe, I put on my shoe, now it's time to put on my shoe. And so you've got the rhythm there, you've got the melody, but you're changing that keyword every time. But your child learns that, and he hears you sing it over and over and over, and he learns that that keyword changes every time. And then what we're going to do with... Um, here at level six is we're going to start to pause and expect him to fill that in. So we've sung the socks and shoes uh, version of that every time we put on his socks and shoes for days and days and maybe even weeks and weeks. And then we start to pause and sing, put on your sock, put on your sock. Now it's time to put on your and we lean forward and we use our tummy face and everything about us, all our body language is saying, it's your turn to say it. And he pops out sock and you all celebrate. And how does he do that? That's how we learn language. It has become automatic. It is a verbal routine. So lots of our little guys do first learn how to use words like that. And we call that the close method. And how I explain it to your parent is you're helping the kid close the phrase and so it might be something like a book where you've read a book like a llama llama red pajama and this is not a great example because pajama is not a word <laughs> that a new talker might use but let's let's use something like brown bear brown bear brown bear what do you see i see a red bird looking at me it's the key word i know you thought it i know some of you probably said it out loud <laughs> because you've done brown bear so much that it's just you can't help it right so that's what we do is we set this up, and that's how kids learn language. And, and again, some of our little guys with this closed method or this fill-in-the-blank method, it works really, really well. I'll tell you kind of as a cheat here, we're not really talking about kids with apraxia, but I have such good luck with this. And I, I think about the, this carrier phrase that not for them to use a carrier phrase, but for me to use the carrier phrase, it gives kids kind of a running start. And so with something like... Um, with uh, reading a book, or let's stick to meals. We were doing this mealtime example. We might do something where we're naming things. It's a spoon. It's a bowl. Here's my cup. And again, you don't get that that frequency or that uh, automatic uh, speech that quickly, without lots and lots of practice first, at where they've really practiced imitating that word and I've said it with you in the context of a song or you've been successful with modeling it. But a lot of times kids really do have just a learning difference there. And unless you give them that, again, that running start, that preparatory phrase, they're not able to do it. So just wanted to mention that. And again, it works particularly well for children with a practice. Now you don't want to use that all the time. Eventually, they're going to have to be spontaneous enough so that <laughs> you're not having to start every sentence for them to finish, but it is such a nice in-between step, and so many of our little guys really become so verbal when we set it up like this, and we use that technique all day long, and then we start to, again, their little systems take over, and they start to be able to use more words on their own, and it's not always in that context. But it's a really good tip, a really good strategy to use. All right, then we work up to level seven. Once a child has learned how to use some words in uh, verbal routines and automatic speech, then and only then do we think he's really ready to imitate words. And so we look at what our most functional words are, 
and we pick a couple of words for every little activity that we're doing to work on. We're gonna say the word several times. If we're doing something like the child is requesting, which is, you can do it a lot. It's, it's so effective because it's so motivating. The child has to say the word to get what, you, what he wants and you're requiring him to do that, but you can't really do it until he has some proficiency with imitating. So when you've gotten to this level, there is proficiency with imitating because you have worked him to this point. He's imitated sounds after you. He's imitated actions after you. He's, he's doing some automatic speech. He's finishing some of your little songs that you do together. So then you know that he is developmentally ready. And so you can set up these requesting things. And I still use the same guideline here. Three to five times I want him to say the word so that he can get the object. And what happens if he doesn't do it after three to five times? You have two choices. I give it to him anyway <laughs> because I want him to try and I want him to stay with me. But at the same time, uh, sometimes parents or some therapists think, well, no, now he's got to do this. He's, I've got to hear him say something. Then what you do is you back it down to a default word or maybe a sign or something that he can consistently do so that he's still successful. He still learns how to request, but at the same time, you are still um, not not rewarding him. You're not not rewarding him. <laughs> You're not not giving him something he wants. Because a lot of times at least it's too much frustration and a kid is either just like forget it and just walks away from you or they are so locked into that power struggle that they really fight you. They have a lot of temper tantrums. They start to hurt you or hurt themselves. They get really, really aggressive. They throw things. And, and you don't want to get a kid there. Once a kid is there, he's out of control. He's not emotionally regulated enough to learn language. And so you can't let kids get there. So that's why the three to five, after three to five times of modeling a word, if he's not imitating it, give it to him anyway or give him a simpler, easier word or sign or something for him to do so that he can do it, uh, so that he can, you can give him the item that he wants. Now we're finally up to level eight. This is short phrases, and this is where a kid imitates a two to three word phrase. And a lot of kids begin with holistic phrases like, I got it, or Mm -mm, so good, you know, if we were thinking about with a meal here, they can do those things because they learn that little phrase as one chunk. And we already talked about kids with autism do that a lot. They're just adult learners. And again, that means they learn, they learn language in chunks. But then even with those kids, you got to pull it back uh, to the single word level. And for uh, when we're talking about holistic phrases here, this is just, we're, we're not really talking about those kids that, um, are just adult learners. I mean, we can use this technique with them, but we're really talking about kids who are having trouble getting from saying more and juice to saying more juice together. And so a lot of times they need that in-between step with the little holistic phrase, I got it, I did it, where'd it go, what's that, before they learn how to say uh, really combine two uh, words that they're already using spontaneously, like more juice. And so... I hope that makes sense to you with that really brief explanation here. But we there there are ways to do that if a kid isn't able to, to imitate those two-word phrases. And again, we're going to pick words that he can already say from his single-word vocabulary of at least 35 to 50 words before we think that he is developmentally ready to begin to imitate and use some phrases. Um, you know, we've got to get him there. So those, those things, those are factors too. So if we have a child who's having difficulty imitating phrases, we say, is his single word vocabulary large enough? And if he's not using 35 to 50 words on his own every day, 35 to 50 different words, we know, oh, we've got to work on vocabulary expansion. He's, he's not there yet. He's not ready to imitate phrases. That would be like expecting a kid who can't do multiplication yet to try to teach him you know how to solve algebraic equations. You know, he's got to know how to do multiplication. And before he knows how to do multiplication, he has to know how to do addition and subtraction. And before he knows how to do addition and subtraction, he has to know what uh, numerical values are and what, you know, what a two, that the, the two number, the visual printing that he sees, that it represents, that, you know, two, one, two, those um, quantitative measures there. He has to know what that, that quantity means. So again, there. Th this is what we're doing with language. We're looking at this really sequential, logical uh, developmental progression. All right, so we've walked through mealtime here. Um, so let's move on to bath time. What are some things that we could do at bath time to walk through this level? 
And I'm going to walk through bath time, and then we're going to talk about how this really looks with families. So bear with me through this one more example, and then I'm going to, I'm going to talk to you about how you should use this, particularly if you were doing a lot of telehealth uh, therapy right now and you're needing some ideas. Let's talk about bath time, and then we're going to walk through what you would really say to a parent. So with bath time, if you were here with me, this would be uh, – participatory. <laughs> if I were teaching this course live, this is where I would stop and say, okay, we're going to do bath time. Let's all walk through this together. And some of us hate this in a conference or a course. I mean, we just groan when the speaker says, I'm going to need you to participate, or you yell out what you think, or or it's worse if a, a person says, hey, you there in the third row in the pink, uh, pink sweater with flowers, what do you think? You know, puts you on the spot there so you kind of hate it you, and it's like grad school but at the same time it's how we learn so i want you to do this so get out your handout if you've purchased the credit for this course and you already have the handout if not if you were taking notes or if you already own um my therapy manual building verbal imitation in toddlers get out your chart that's the back page of this which is your cheat sheet and let's walk through this so what are some things you could do for level one remember this is actions with objects what are some things that you could do at bath time that a kid could learn to imitate here as, as where your starting point for therapy? You're going to teach them how to engage with you and pay attention to you and attend to you long enough that he starts to do what you do. So what are some things you could do at bath time with objects? Well, we, we have the water there. What could we do? We could splash the water. You know, we could do it with our hands on top of the water, we could put our hands under the water, we could um, do anything like pour the water with a cup or a bowl in the bathtub, we could take a toy and walk it up the side of the bathtub or the, the tile on the wall, we could do that, we could take um, a washcloth and squeeze that water out and, and see if a child will start to imitate that. A lot of times we get that little sound with that too, which then you know if you've done that, with a level one, you've had him squeeze that washcloth and you hear him start to say, Eeeh! when you do it, boy, he has jumped some levels. He's up to level four and he's now doing vocalizations in play. So sometimes you can get just some valuable information. Even, you know, you, kids, will, kids will surprise you or you don't know them well enough yet or they'll, they'll mature right in front of your eyes <laughs> and start to kind of bump up a few developmental levels there and, and you'll get some good information. And basically though, You've prepped them for that. You've taught them, oh, saying this little, vo little vocalization is fun. This sound effect is cool. And they're motivated enough to try it then because you've done that action with an object for them and they, they like it and they want to they try to copy you and imitate you. So those are some things you could do with level one. Let's bump up to level two. Communicative gestures. What would you say if I asked you, what are some communicative gestures or some body actions, body movements that you could do during bath time for a child to start to imitate you? Uh, what about when you are given a choice for a bathtub toy? Let's say, let me get some of my little animals here. And what if you were asking your little friend, do you want this duck? Do you want this duck? What's a communicative gesture they could do to let you know that they want the duck? And remember, you've got to model it first because we're teaching imitation. So what could you say, do you want this duck? You could shake your head yes and see if they're going to do that or shake your head no if you know they don't want the duck. If you're seeing them still look for something else that you haven't offered them yet or given them yet, uh, don't try to keep them looking for the duck. Get them to shake their heads no so that they can move on to the next thing and see you've met your goal and you've done what they wanted to do and they had a reason to copy that gesture from you. They're shaking their heads. So again, that's something you could do. What's another communicative gesture? I'm doing it for you. <laughs> that a child could do to let you know that they want the duck at bath time. They could point. Some of our little guys, it's just attending to you and looking at the duck. That's, that's progress for some of our little people to be attentive enough and engaged enough and connected enough with you to see what you were holding and to look at you and to look at that duck and then maybe to look back at your eyes. You know, they're using eye gaze there. That's joint attention. We are all paying, both paying attention to the same thing. So that would be level two. So that's, that's something you could teach with that. So again, remember, these are ways not only that we assess where a kid is functioning, Within this hierarchy, it's also how we treat it or what our intervention strategies are, too. So that's what you could do. All right, so let's uh, move on up. Bath time, level three. These would be nonverbal actions with your face or mouth. What are some things that a child could do in the bathroom 
that would uh, let you know that he's able to imitate nonverbal things with his mouth. What about toothbrushing? You could do all kinds of stuff in front of the mirror with toothbrushing with that. And you could have him uh, stick out his tongue. You could have him show you his teeth. You certainly are having him open his mouth. And again, it doesn't need to be on verbal command. That's the tricky part. You want him to what? You want him to imitate. So you're going to sit there and, you know, say, show me your bottom teeth. Ah, you know, and open your mouth real big so that he can see your bottom teeth. And so think about those kinds of things that you could do. What are some other things you could do? Nonverbal actions that you could do with your face or mouth during bath time. You could do any kind of little facial expression there with smiling or blowing or anything, you know, make it a, a pop, pop, pop with your lips, not even a sound, just a you know, just your mouth movement. So anything like that you could do. Move on up to level four, vocalizations. What are some things we could do to vocalize as a kid plays in the bathtub? We could squeal, you know, any little squeal that we could do with the water. We could uh, pretend if there's a boat in the tub with us, do a raspberry there. Or even one where you, uh, an interdental raspberry where you're Stick, putting your tongue between your teeth. And I, I have a really hard time with that kind of raspberry where you blow that, where it's uh, uh, even a, like a voice. <laughs> see, I can barely do it. Uh, but you could do that with a kid and model that and see if a kid can imitate that from you. That's a vocalization in play. That's a level four. Then once a kid can do that, several of those five or six different examples of those things, then you think about bumping them up to level five, which would be exclamatory words. So this would be like saying, you know, wee as you pour the water. Or like we talked about before, squeeze when you're squeezing that uh, water out of the washcloth. So if a kid can do that. So you want to think about, again, what are some sounds? What are some of those words like uh-oh and whoops or whoopsie-daisy or any of those little fun words, yay, or any animal sound, you know, with your duck, quack, 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 quack. Um, see what they will do with that there and if they're not doing it again there's your goal there's what you can work on there's there's something that you uh, can get and a lot of times parents will think about doing animal sounds maybe while they're reading books but not think oh i should put some of those animals in the tub too that would be a good time to really reinforce this and I, this is something he likes so this gives me an extra opportunity for practice so that might be something as a therapist that you would notice and that you would suggest and say Hey, he's doing this in play. Let's let's see if we can move this into a daily routine so that you're practicing uh, and giving him an opportunity to do more of these animal sounds and really own these animal sounds um, during bath time. So that, that's something you could do. All right, then level six, what's that? Do you remember? Do you have a cheat sheet there? It's automatic speech with verbal routines. So this would be where we make up some things. And remember, we're going for saying the same words in the same way at the same time. So we might use a little bathtub song. Uh, we might use a song about washing. Remember we sang that song a minute ago about, you know, during diaper changing and dressing, you know, put on your shoe or put on your sock. Um, you, you know, we might do that here with body parts. You know, I wash your belly, wash your belly, wash, 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 wash your foot, wash your foot, wash, wash, wash. And again, the key word there isn't really belly or foot. What is it? It's wash, wash, wash. That's what we're trying to get a kid to say. And so, again, the repetition, you know, we're washing 25 different body parts here, but our target is wash, 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 or having a kid say, you know, we're singing that little, you know, wash your arm, wash your arm, wash, wash. And then we do the pause there to see if he'll fill in wash. So that's your... Um, that's your goal there. And so to use something, remember we call this the close method, the fill in the blank. So, and then we can change it. Once we've done it kind of in a song, we can make it more <clears throat> conversational where we might say, what do you want mama to wash? What's mama going to wash? When we've kind of moved on to body parts, wash your knee or wash my belly. So uh, you can certainly modify that and make that more conversational as a child has more practice and has uh, used that strategy for a while. Bath time with functional words. Remember, we're going to start with words that make sense in the, um, the event we're doing, the everyday event. So what are, you, what are your target words for bath time? Water, bath, words like on and off, maybe hot and cold. Certainly, we're going to name all of the toys that we have in the bathtub with us. We've already talked a lot about body parts that we're going to name. So those would be our functional words. So if a kid is imitating 
those easier early levels pretty well and he's starting to really request when mom gives the direct model the direct cue there to request you want to give moms a list of words to practice you want to help her brainstorm what are my four new words that i'm going to work on every day this week every night this week at bath time what are the three or four words that i'm going to work on my child saying and so help parents really think about this it's not really enough to say pick your target words and we'll talk about it next time really talk about what those would be and sometimes as a therapist you'll have some input mom might say uh, she might pick a word that again you know that it's just going to be too complex for a kid she might pick a word that uh, starts with an r or th and it's not a functional word maybe mom says oh i want to say red he has a red ball that he really likes in the bathtub i think we should use red and you might gently redirect mom and say you know let's don't do a color let's stick with ball i think he could he's more likely to say ball because i think i've heard we've heard him say b sometimes he tries to do a b sound when he says boo and he says mama with a good m so ball is going to be good because a b Ball starts with B, and that's made with, at the same place in his mouth with the M that he says first for mama. And so you walk a mom through that whole process, and she goes, oh, yeah, that would be a better word. So talking with moms and dads, brainstorming with them about what their target words are and why this might make sense. Or let's say you're working on a pattern, like a phonological pattern like syllableness, and you, you know that this kid can't get a lot of two syllable utterances he just can't sequence it yet so you might say let's really work on that at bath time let's say uh wawa for water and again some of you therapists may be cringing right now because you think i want to model water i don't want to say the baby version of that but remember what our goal was it was syllableness so we want to get you know if a kid says wah or wawa i want wawa because that's a two syllable word and so think about how you could do that too how you could adjust your other goals and think about you know you you would talk with mom about we can do wawa we can do we can do bye-bye we can pretend to make our um animals our about to toy animals sleep and we can say night night you know we can have a mama duck and a dad dad duck you know we're working on syllableness with those Redupli reduplicative words there so that's certainly something we could do and then phrases what are some phrases you could do at bath time certainly you can pair wash with a body part or go with one of your toys or uh, we've already talked about those real familiar things like bye-bye with something so that's how we walk through that all right so this is what i told you we were going to do at the end and this is actually um, the most important part so when you've done this with the parent and y'all have walked through the whole levels, that whole little chart of levels, and you've done this again, either with a handout that you've gotten from this course, or if you already have bought Building Verbal Imitation in Toddlers, Verbal Imitation Skills in Toddlers, you've walked through and you've said, your child is here. He's here with exclamatory words. And so, what you need to do instead of walking through all eight levels with we're going to walk all eight levels through bath time we're going to walk all eight levels with reading books together we're going to walk all eight levels with playing with a blanket you don't want to do that you want to say he's here at exclamatory words so let's talk about the exclamatory words that you're going to use during mealtime and let's talk about the exclamatory words that you're going to use every time you change his diaper and let's talk about the exclamatory words level five that you're going to use um every time he you're getting him dressed and so you you do that and so that's how you use that but as a therapist these sheets are great because they give you a starting point and like i said in show 398 the part one of this show sometimes with the parent it's really really valuable to take like your two page handout and this works so well with parents who are just dying to get their kids to talk and they are just so anticipatory that they can't help themselves from trying to get their child to say a word even though they already know that he's developmentally not there you can highlight on this kind of chart or even on your chart from the therapy manual here where their child is so that they have a visual representation with I'm trying to be up here and my kid is back here and I have done this time and time and time again with this chart and so many parents and therapists have said to me that chart that chart is something else boy that chart is right on the money that really really works and so seeing this kind of thing where where you're constantly redirecting their attention to 
focus on exclamatory words, focus on play sounds, and, and they really get it. And that helps them be able to meet their child where they are, and that they're going to find just a lot more satisfaction in working with their child because their child is successful and they're going to feel successful and that child feels that even a toddler who's not talking understands when he's doing a good job right when when he is receiving praise however if that's verbal praise or however he gets his little reward from you whether that's a little physical reward he's a hugger or what whatever it is he knows that and so when we help parents work at that just right developmental level it is better for everybody it is better for that kid it is better for that parent and let me tell you it is better for you as a therapist because you've really done your job and you've helped that parent really embrace strategies uh, to use and she sees as a mom or he sees as a dad that he's making a real real difference and then that's going to motivate them even more to keep trying it and to keep going all those other hours of the week uh, when you're not there and when you're not um, in person or on their screen doing your visit with them or on the phone. So uh, keep that in mind. Everybody, when we meet a kid where they are and when we we work at that just right developmental level, everybody is happier. All right, get your credit. Purchase your credit for the show at the link there below. If you're watching on YouTube or if you are listening via podcast, go to teachmetotalk.com. Click um, on the homepage where it says View All ASHA CEU Courses, and this is show 399. You've already listened to it, so you might as well get your credit, right? So go to that. All right, that's all for today. I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech-language pathologist, and thank you so much for joining me for TeachMeToTalk.com's podcast. Thank you.